Our Father, we simply cannot comprehend the depth of our sin. As much as we feel, as much as we struggle, as much as we strive for holiness and keep running into walls, as much as we commit the same sins over and over and over again, and yet in spite of all that, we only know even just a fraction of what you saw in us, the rebellion, the treason. And yet, Lord, in all of your mercy, as, as the incredible depths of our depravity goes, your mercy has abounded so much more. And Father, we will spend all eternity learning the riches of your mercy and grace toward us, and we, we will never get to the end of it. Your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is infinite. Your love is eternal. And Father, we just, we worship you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and we ask you, Lord, to wash us clean as we see you and we see the truths of who you are in these songs that we sing. Lord, it would motivate us to hear your word. And then as we hear your word, we will, we will be moved by your spirit to obey, to understand, to know, and to share your love with our community. Lord, we ask that you will Lift us up now, remove distractions, Lord, that we would be able to attend to your word and give it the attention that it is due. Father, we have not come here today to have our ears tickled, nor to amass to ourselves teachers who will, who will just simply give us the desires of our heart, but Lord, we've come to be changed. We've come to be renewed by your word, to be washed by its truth so that we may go out and we may live in a way that will not only glorify you, but will also bring others to you. And Father, we ask that you would attend to the teaching of your word this morning, teaching that's already been done in small groups and now that's being done, will be done later this afternoon in small groups. Father, we ask it all that it would be rich and will bring us back to a higher view of God that we may leave here and know that you are God and we are your people. And if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray today would be the day that you would draw them to yourself, that they would come to understand the gospel and that it would entice them and irresistibly draw them forward to know you to know Christ and him crucified, risen and coming again, full of life and liberty to everyone who was once a slave of sin, but is now adopted as a child of God. We pray all this in your name, amen. Amen. We are continuing in the Who's Your One. Let me just ask you, are there any testimonies of those? Maybe you've got a chance to share the gospel with someone this week. Maybe share your faith or initiate a, a conversation with. Is there anyone who's done that? Okay. 
Are you still diligently in praying for and uh, committed to uh, sharing the faith with them? I pray that you are. I had an opportunity this week um, in uh, Kroger. I, I usually don't go to Kroger, but I needed more, I needed more uh, bottled water for, for uh, the office over there. So I went to Kroger to get some, and, uh, and anyway, as I, was, as I was starting to pick it up, I felt this little hand behind me just start kind of picking at me. And uh, I was like, well, I know, I know Roxanne and my kids aren't with me, so this is a little weird. And so I turned around and it was like this one-year-old kid who was like leaning over in their cart doing this to me, just trying to get me to hold them. And the mother was looking at, uh, mother was looking at something to get, I guess, on the other side of the aisle. And, I, and she turned around and saw the kid do it. She's like, I am so sorry. And... Uh, and of course, I had a great conversation with her, but in the midst of it, I asked her, I said, do you belong to a church anywhere? And, uh, you know, you got a one-year-old, um, are, you raising, are you raising her in church? And, um, and she said, well, actually, yes. And they, I guess, uh, uh, on the other side of Pleasant Plains, I guess there's an independence Baptist church there, and she's a member of that. But that's just one of uh, several ways that you can strike up conversations with someone about the gospel, just right there in the middle of... Uh, in the middle of uh, Kroger when uh, a little one-year-old just creates the opportunity for you. And I would tell you, I guess I'm just getting old or something because babies just really now, I'm like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> I guess it's because I have teenagers, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm just like, babies, you know? So uh, I don't know. But anyway, you know, uh, you can usually tell what is important to someone by what they talk about the most, can't you? You know, what, what brings you the most joy? What's the, what's the first thing on your mind when you wake up? What is the last thing you think about as you're going to bed? What brings you the most satisfaction? Or, or what is it that you identify with the most? Um, whenever Roxanne and I first started dating, uh, I, mom knew that something was going on even before I did because I called her one Sunday afternoon and was talking to her and we talked for an hour and pretty much that entire time I talked about Roxanne. And so she knew before I did, she said, I'm pretty sure that my future daughter-in-law's name is going to be Roxanne. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, a few months after that, I did ask her to marry me and, uh, and she got to meet my mom before that happened. And I guess, well, you were a bridesmaid in a wedding or something like that. And, and uh, she was looking out and my mom was just grinning ear to ear at her and smiling and all that. And, and, and the bride looked over at Roxanne and she said, who's that weird woman grinning at you like that? <laughs> so I, and that would be Randy's mom. So he runs in the family. So... Um, so yeah, we talk about the thing that we care about the most, don't we? We talk, you can tell that something really matters to someone by how much they talk about it. You know, just every conversation, it, it seems to come back to that. And every one of us knows that this is true. In fact, the opposite is also true. That's why I don't really pay attention a lot to these attention span studies and stuff like that, you know, because the fact of the matter is your attention span is directly related to your interest in the topic, have you ever noticed that? If you're interested in the topic, then it can hold your attention. If you're not interested in the topic, they're right. 20 minutes is about all you can give it. So uh, for Christmas, I got, a, I got some lectures uh, on video. Uh, um, basics of Hebrew discourse analysis. And I can sit and watch that thing for hours. How many of you can do it? 
Right. <laughs> you're right. 20 minutes is about all you're going to give that, right? So that's why I don't really pay attention a lot to these attention studies and such. And yet, we know this is true. What, what we love, we talk about. What we love holds our attention. So why does it seem so artificial? And why does it seem like we have to force ourselves, and it is so difficult to talk about Christ? Why is that? And I don't think it's a lack of love. I truly don't. We, I, I believe that we all love Jesus Christ in this room. I think we all, myself included, could love him more. Of course we could. Our love is not for him is not gonna be perfected until we're glorified in heaven. So there's always room for improvement. But in spite of our genuine love for Christ, it just seems so artificial and so difficult for some of us to talk about him. And, and why is that? Why is that? It seems to be a lump in our throat. It seems to be especially difficult to talk about the gospel, that there are, there are so many barriers that, that get in our way. For some of us, it's, it seems like there's cultural barriers. It seems like, you know, speaking of religion is considered inappropriate and, and not done in polite society today. I told you about when I got on the plane and I was uh, sitting in the next to a British couple and I just love the British accent. I think it's like the coolest thing in the world. And, and so I was just striking up a conversation with them and, and they were talking to me and, and, and such. And, and then it kind of came to it. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, uh, do you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ? And the lady, and I'm not giving this justice, guys, uh, but the lady that was sitting on the other side of her husband leaned over and says, we do not talk about Politics, nor religion. Shut me up. I was done after that. And, and the thing is, I was going to an evangelism conference. You know, I, I'm sitting here saying, you know, I, I will disobey the government. You know, if they tell me to stop preaching, I'm gonna keep on preaching anyway and I'll go to jail if I have to. Dude, a British woman shut me down in an airplane. What is it about it that just makes it so difficult? For some of us, it's cultural. For some of us, it's societal pressure. We're told that telling someone that we have the truth and they don't is hateful. We're told that it is even bigoted. We're mocked in the media. We're misrepresented in the news and maligned on social media. Why is that? You know, the truth is, these are external issues that play a part, but you know, the truth is, is I don't think any of these actually stop us. I don't think any of them actually stop us. I think, I think there's something inside of us that makes us pause. It makes us timid. And that's what we're interested in this morning. We're not gonna talk about the, the crazy culture out there. We're gonna ask ourselves, what's going on in my heart that makes me so timid to share Jesus with my friends, family, coworkers, and even strangers? Why are we so reluctant to share the truth of Jesus Christ? And what can we do about it? What can we do about it? And I think anytime the Bible is preached, I mean, not just about this, we're gonna apply it to this, but I think anytime the Bible is preached, you're gonna get three basic reactions, three basic responses to any command that the Bible gives. And I, and I think we find those responses laid out for us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. So if you haven't already turned uh, in your copy of God's word to there, it's a very short verse. So I won't ask you to stand as we read it. But here's what Paul says. He says, I urge you, brethren and sistren, 
Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and be patient with everyone. I think what we find here are three broad categories that are summarized. Every time the word is preached, I think we see these three overly broad responses. Now, I'm not talking about the lost people. I'm talking about in the church. Paul wrote this verse to those who were in the church. We are talking to believers here. And the question is, is that when the word is preached, when the word is given, what are the responses that Christians often give, believers often give to the commands of the word? And and again, this is universal. It applies to all the biblical commands, but we're gonna apply them specifically to evangelism this morning because evangelism is a command. Did you know that? It is a command. It is something that we're not given a choice. You obey. And I don't care what your theological label is, Calvinist, Arminian, Protestant, whatever it is, if you use your theological label as an excuse to disobey God, you've got a bad theology. I don't care what it is. And so we're gonna ask ourselves this morning, what is it that makes us so afraid to obey the Lord in this area. Three broad categories that we are gonna apply to evangelism. So number one, what we see here is this, is that if you are unruly, then you need admonishment. Maybe you're here this morning and you are unruly. Whenever you hear the word of God preached, whenever you hear the commands and you hear the precepts and the principles, you're unruly. If you're using the English Standard Version, which is the other translation I use, you, might, you have the word idle there. You are idle. And, and what is that talking about? In other words, it's someone who hears the word of God, but they determine that they are not going to obey it. It is a willful disobedience. That's what the word means, unruly. That means you are without rule. You're not going to obey for whatever reason. You're, you hear that word and you've already determined in your heart In fact, for a lot of them, before you even came here this morning, you had already determined in your heart that whatever you hear from the word of God today, you are not going to obey it. You've already determined that. And what do we do about that? If you are that person, beloved, you need admonishment. You need correction. You need to be confronted. And I think there's really two kinds here of the unruly that we find in the scriptures. Again, these are, I'm, I'm painting with a broad stroke of a brush here. There's, there, there's others and, and different things, different reasons. But I think what you have is among Christians is that sometimes you have the contentious. You have the contentious. This is active rebellion against God's word. They, they understand what is required. They know they should do it. In fact, if you were to ask them, they will say, I know that this is something I should be involved with. But you have a settled, stiff-necked determination not to obey. Truth of the matter is, you're not truly unruly. What you are is self-ruled. 
Nobody's gonna make me do anything I don't want to do. Your holy trinity is me, myself, and I. And that's who you worship. Ungodly is another way. It's someone who who may confess God with their mouth, but their heart is far from him. They, they profess Christianity. Maybe they even come to church, but on Monday through Friday, they live in a way that suggests that God is really not an active part of their lives. They don't consider him in, in any decisions that they make. They don't consider truths or precepts or anything like that. They really don't care. I am my own king. I am the king of my castle. This person is in active rebellion against God. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Pride. Pure and simple, pride. And because of your pride, it causes you to lack compassion for others. It causes you to lack understanding of your real neediness for Christ. In fact, you probably don't think you need anything. You need to be admonished need to be warned. James chapter four, verse six. I want you to see this. He's quoting the Old Testament, but James says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, the word of God says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you realize that in the New Testament, there is only one sin that God says, if you have this, if you are this, then I am actively opposed to you. And it's right here. If you are proud, if you are self-ruled, if you are self-sufficient, God is opposing you. And that's serious business, isn't it? That should scare us. Love it. It is not a slight thing to disobey God. It's the only sin that if you have this and you are not repenting of it, I am actively opposing you. You need to be warned. You need to be admonished. But, but I do suspect that I'm preaching to the choir here, so we're gonna move on from that. Because I don't, if you are someone who is unruly, I don't think that most of us fall into the active rebellion category. I really don't think that. I don't believe that. But there is a passive rebellion. There is a passive rebellion, and the Bible refers to this as complacency complacency. And, and I think we're all there from time to time, if we're honest. We are all complacent from time to time, are we not? Where, where we, um, what does this mean? It, it's a passive rebellion. You understand the command. In fact, perhaps you even commit yourself to follow the command. Perhaps you've committed in your heart, I'm going to do this this time during the sermon, but then you go home and you completely forget. It just, it, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. You go home and maybe you've done evangelism training. Maybe you've done all of this stuff. You, you have everything you need. You have everything that, that anybody could, could need to help you share the gospel. But the problem is not lack of need. The problem is lack of desire. You just don't want to, Right? And again, this comes to any kind of command from the scripture that, that you, are, you, you have this complacency. It is a lack of motivation. It is apathy, apathetic. 
And it is a confront, it is an affront to the character of God. It's like the husband who shows no desire or affection for his spouse whatsoever. And, and she's just trapped in a loveless marriage. It's terrible. And it's an affront to the character of God. Look at Zephaniah chapter one, verse 12. It, I have it on the board. It says, God is talking about the day of the Lord. And he says, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men, watch this, who are complacent. What, what is the definition of complacency? I want you to notice this. It says, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. In other words, this is a heart issue that gets back to the very character and integrity of God. In other words, what you're saying here is that the Lord will not reward faithfulness and he will not discipline sin. He doesn't care. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter what I say. Nothing matters because the Lord really doesn't care anyway. If you think about that, go, go ahead and put that back up there, Mark. If you think about that for a moment, if you've taken away, if, you believe, if you're saying in your heart that the Lord's, the Lord's not really gonna reward me for being faithful, the Lord's not really gonna discipline me for sinning, what have you just done? You've just taken away two of the greatest motivations that Christians have for obedience. And that's where complacency comes in and it sets in in our hearts. It's a serious problem for the church, not because of the statistics that we see about church decline and, and all of this stuff and church attendance. Those are all serious challenges. But on so many occasions, this is a serious problem for the church because Yahweh pronounces judgment upon complacent hearts. And he has written entire books to the nation of Israel judging their complacency. I wonder what he would write to so many churches today wonder what he would. Repent and seek the Lord. The idle, the unruly, they must be warned. Turn away from your unrighteousness. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will give you grace. He will forgive your sin and he will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. If you are unruly, oh dear brother and sister, repent. Cast off your unrighteousness. Heed the warning that if you do not repent, God will oppose you. Judge not others, lest you be judged, held to the same measurement by which you are measuring others with, which is usually your own standard of righteousness. Beloved, walk away. Turn from your sin. We must admonish the idol. But getting off of that, there's another response, and that is this, is that if you are faint-hearted, then you need encouragement. You need encouragement. Look back in 1 Thessalonians, he says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. What is the faint-hearted? What does that mean? This is someone who wants to obey the Lord. With all of his heart, he wants to obey God. I think of uh, Romans chapter seven, where Paul says, uh, in my heart, there is a desire to do the law of God. There is, I want, I love the law. I know the law is good and I want to do it, but I find a law within me that so that the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those things I do, God help me. And that's the faint hearted. It's one who wants to obey, but for some reason they feel like they cannot. 
for some reason they feel like that they can't. This barrier is internal. It's internal. Unlike the unruly, they want to obey, but they just feel like, and and the key word there is feel, they feel like that there is something that is holding them back. And if you're that person, you need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. What are some of these? I think the biggest one is fear. I think the biggest one is fear. What kind of fear might be a barrier to evangelism? or any command for that matter. I think there's a fear of rejection. I think there's a fear of rejection. You are fearful that you will lose this person as a friend if you share your faith with them. As someone who went with, through this as a teen, when I, be, when I became a believer in Christ, I lost all my friends. I, that's how I'm gonna tell you. It's not easy. It's not easy. This is a very real fear that could very well happen. Very, it's, it's very true. You, ha, you are right to be afraid. I don't, I don't want you to think that this is a wrong fear. You are right to be afraid because this could happen. It very well. Pastor Lynn still thankfully gave me so much support during those first few years. I literally had no friends. And Pastor Steele, my, my father in the faith, Lynn, he, he was about the only friend I had. Until finally, I also discovered so much friendship and support in my youth group. And beloved, this is one reason why we must, must significantly invest in our youth because if it wasn't for my youth group, I wouldn't be here today. That was hard. That was a hard time, let me tell you. But it's not just the youth. Some adults struggle with this too. A couple of things, uh, you're afraid. You have this lifelong friend that you know you need to share the faith with, but you're afraid if you do, you will lose them as a friend. They will, they will back away from you. They will start kind of ghosting you is the modern terminology today. A couple things to remember. Number one, if you share the gospel with them, beloved, I'm not gonna lie to you. If you share the gospel with them, you might lose them as a friend. But if you don't share the gospel with them and they die without Christ, you will definitely lose them. You will definitely lose them. And second, and this is the other thing, just practical. You know, you don't have to come on so strong. Trust the sovereignty of God. Trust the lordship of Christ. Um, be faithful as a friend to them. You don't, have to, you don't have to give them, you know, like I said a couple weeks ago, you don't have to give them both barrels at once. You can, yes, there's urgency. We certainly believe that. But we also trust God's sovereignty in this. And so, so fear of rejection. It's also fear of failure. Fear of failure. Uh, uh, can't answer a question. You won't lead them to salvation. And, and, the, and the irony here is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that I fear if I share my faith, it's going to fail. So therefore, I don't share my faith. And guess what? You fail. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You fear failing, so you don't try, at which point you do fail. Why? Because this fear is misguided. It has the wrong goal in mind, beloved. The goal of evangelism is that we will glorify God through our faithfulness. It is not up to you to convert them. 
Yes, God uses means. Yes, we do everything we can to persuade them. We beg them if we have to. We do everything we can, but at the end of the day, it is not our words, our clever presentations, any of those things. It, it is not even our, per, our perfect presentation of the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit of God that changes the heart. And while, yes, we ought to endeavor to be as accurate as we can, yes, we should, and be as clear as possible. Don't think that somebody's eternal destination depends on you getting every jot and tittle of your gospel presentation right. I, I couldn't live with that responsibility. And praise the Lord, we don't have to because God is willing to use imperfect vessels. He does all the time. The goal of evangelism is not whether they respond. Yes, of course we want to see them respond, but at the end of the day, our goal is to be faithful. And beloved, if you are faithful, then you have not failed, regardless of their response. The goal is faithfulness. Uh, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter three in a text that you are probably familiar with. Ezekiel three, and I won't read the whole thing. You might wanna write down verses 16 and 19, but... God is setting Ezekiel as a watchman on the wall and he says, if I say to the wicked, you, surely, you will surely die and you do not warn them and speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. The wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But watch verse 19. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Beloved, you don't have to feel fear failure here. The only way you can fail is to not do it. So, yes, it is to the prophet Ezekiel, but the principle certainly applies and so you can see the connection here. And so don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to, there's, there's nothing to have ultimate fear that will take you away from faithfulness in Christ. And I think the other one, faint-hearted, is discouragement. I think that's another way that we get faint-hearted is that we're discouraged. You know, I've shared my faith so many times. Brother, listen, sister, I hear you. I've shared my faith with so many people and 99% of the time, they don't respond. Think about Jeremiah who preached for 30, 40 years, not one convert that we know of. Think about Noah. Think about Paul and all of the affliction and persecution he faced. Do you not think at times that they were discouraged? Do you not think at times that they were demoralized? Of course they were. They had to be. We know Jeremiah was. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. So listen, we understand this. And I believe that this is one of Satan's best attacks against Christians. I really do. It's really just another kind of fear, but, but it attaches on to a loss of hope. It is a fear of failure, but, but a loss of hope kind of comes in and, and compounds it. It's failure to adjust biblically to disappointments. I mean, there's a, there's a powerful pattern here that happens that, that you're faced with a responsibility, right? But then some disappointment or some difficulty comes, it happens, and, there, and because of that difficulty, because of that disappointment, there's a loss of desire to continue to carry out your responsibility. And what happens is you're demoralized 
and it leads to escapism. In other words, you become preoccupied on less important things. You just want to escape now. Beloved, whether it's fear or discouragement, you need encouragement. Listen, keep on the battle. Keep on going. Let me show you a couple passages. Uh, Galatians, and I got the wrong one written down here. So I got a passage in Galatians somewhere. There it is. It's uh, chapter six, verse nine. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good because in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Beloved, don't give up. No matter how many times, no matter how many difficulties, no matter how much it is, don't give up because your reward is coming in heaven. It's not on this earth. Yes, you will get to experience the joy of obedience here. Yes, you will get to experience those things, but our ultimate reward, our ultimate hope is not here. It is with Christ in heaven. And so don't grow weary. You ever feel like you're just spinning your wheels? Like you're like a hamster in the wheel and you're just rolling and rolling, rolling. Aren't those things annoying? And they're nocturnal too. So they do it all night while you sleep and you're trying to sleep with this little squeaky wheel going on and on, you know? You ever feel like you're just spinning your wheels? You know what? Isaiah did one time. Here's what he said in chapter 49. He said, I've toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. That's Isaiah's way of saying, I am just spinning my wheels. This is going nowhere. I'm putting all this effort into preaching. Remember Isaiah's call? You're gonna preach to them. They're not gonna listen to you. I'm calling you just so that they will know a prophet was among them. Boy, that's a great call, isn't it? And Isaiah felt that discouragement. He felt that, that, uh, that anguish. I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm, I'm spinning my strength for nothing, for vanity. And yet then he reminds himself, yet surely the justice due to me is with Yahweh. My reward is with my God. Beloved, your reward for faithfulness is in heaven with your God. It's not here on earth. Yes, we want to see fruit. Yes, we want to see. And you know what? We will see fruit. That one person who accepts Christ will be enough to encourage you for a year. It really will. Uh, Who was it? Mark Twain? He said, uh, I can live three years on one compliment or, or something like that. I just butchered it. But you get the point. This is why you don't, you know, shoot from the hip when you're quoting someone. So... Guys, the point is, is don't give up. Grow in the fear of the Lord. Beloved, we, we don't fear the punishment of sin, but be overwhelmed at his greatness. Let his glory overcome you. Grow in this fear of God that you are so overwhelmed that it gets rid of fear for anything else. That our fear of God is so strong. Our, our love for God is so strong. What does love do? It removes all fear. It casts away all fear. Grow in your fear of the Lord so that all your other fear seems tiny and insignificant in comparison. Grow in the grace of God and watch your fears just melt right away. Beloved, Evangelism is not about forcing ourselves to do anything. It's about being so full of God that he just bubbles out of you. You know? 
Monday night, me and the guys, Monday and, uh, Sunday and t- Monday night, me and the guys went down to that conference down at the seminary in Conway. And, and Monday night, especially on the way back, um, I, have, I have this thing, I don't know why I do this. Tony was, was really bothered by this, that when I'm driving the van, I just feel like I'm going so fast. And when I'm not paying attention, I was doing like 55 in a 75. And I was going so slow and Tony kept going, hey, Hey, you know, I guess it's the old truck driver in you. I don't know. It's like, hey, speed up, speed up, speed up, you know? And, uh, and so Monday night, Tony couldn't come. We're going down the road and Avery's in the front seat and Bobby tells him from the back, he's like, hey, watch the speedometer, <laughs> you know? And so all the way down there, we're going. But then we hear these great truths of the solas. We heard about the uh, sola del grazia, the, uh, for the glory of God alone, sola Christus, Christ alone. And we heard these great presentations of these glorious doctrines. And all the way home, that's all we could talk about, right, fellas? That's all we could talk about. It was just bubbling out of us. And at one point, I'm driving down 167, and I noticed that I was down to like 50 you know, and so I started to speed up and this time Bobby was in the front seat and he's like, what are you speeding up for? You're gonna take away time for us to talk. It, it just, uh, I, mean, I mean, it just it just bubbled out of us. We were so excited about, about the big truths that we had just learned. That's, that's what evangelism is about. Amen? Have you ever noticed that our joy is not really complete until we tell someone? When you come back from a great vacation, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to tell someone about it, right? That's what God does for us. I spent too much time on that. So just very quickly, number three, you have the unruly, you have the faint-hearted, but beloved, if you are weak, you need assistance. You need a weak. If you're weak, you need assistance. This is someone who wants to obey but they have limitations, limitations. Weakness, as you look in the scriptures, the way it's used, it's used of physical limitations. And Paul says, if you are weak, then the church is to assist you. Unlike the faint-hearted, this is actual, honest-to-goodness, external, physical limitations. You're unable to get where you need to be. Maybe there's mobility issues or, or something like that. Perhaps you're disabled and you feel as though it makes you so that you can't. Beloved, I could tell you so many multiple stories of those who were physically disadvantaged and yet God used mightily. So many stories. I remember a uh, Lynn Steele, in fact, my mentor when I was saved as a teenager, the one I mentioned, he told a story about how he was preaching a revival and, and there was a man with a wheelchair who came down, young man, probably in his 20s. He was, uh, I think he might've been disabled from the war or something like that, I'm not sure. And he came down to the front and Brother Lynn kind of knelt down to talk to him and I'll never forget what he said. He asked Brother Steele, he said, can God use half a man? Beloved, that's one of those moments where you just pray for God to give you the right thing to say because you really don't know and God gave it to him. Brother Lynn said, God would rather take half a man who will give his heart wholly to God than a whole man who will only serve him half-heartedly. And that, that veteran in a wheelchair, he went on 
to become a pastor. He pastored a church. God used him mightily. Never walked. Never walked. Some of you are familiar with Justin Peters. I had the pleasure of meeting him. He's, uh, in fact, I'd like to get him here next year to do his, uh, to do his conference, um, if we're able to. Um, does this wonderful conference. It's a biblical critique of the Word of Faith movement. And, but it's more than that. It's just a, it's just a trophy of faithfulness. And, but if you know Justin, you know he has cerebral palsy. He, uh, he can't get anywhere without his crutches. And yet he has an international ministry. He has been on every inhabited continent on the earth preaching the gospel. He needs assistance to get places, but that hasn't stopped him. Hasn't stopped him. All of you may know the story of Joni Erickson Tata, young lady who was a diver, and she had a diving accident. She was quadriplegic. God has given her an international voice. She has a voice like an angel. God has given her a great voice. Many of you are familiar. I've talked a lot about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon suffered from debilitating depression. Debilitating depression. And yet now, 150 years later, people are still buying his sermons by the volumes. 150 years later, he still has a ministry. We could talk about the very one who wrote this letter, Paul. He talks about his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. We think it was poor eyesight, but we don't know. Where he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is seen in your weakness. Beloved, God is delighted to do and show his awesome glory through our weakness. It delights him to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, I'm too old. I, am, I, I, I just don't get out. I, I don't do all these things. I, I'm, I'm physically limited in what I can do. Beloved, that's, uh, that is a perfect position to see the mighty power of God be done through you. But still, church, that person may need assistance. And we ought to be more than willing to give it to them. Do whatever it takes. Nothing is too much to do the work of an evangelist. Amen? Beloved, none of us can go it alone. We need the help and support of the church. We need one another. And that's why Paul ends this verse by saying, be patient with all. Whichever response you happen to fall under, this morning, whether you're unruly and you need admonishment, whether you are faint-hearted and you need encouragement, or whether you are weak and you need assistance, whatever it is, God is patient with you. And he's calling you to rise above whatever is holding you back to share the gospel with your one. Isn't that uplifting? Isn't that encouraging? We need to do everything we can, spend as much time as we can, spend and be spent so that God will be glorified in your life. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. God is patient with you. 
And he's calling you to obedience. Would you heed his call? Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you for a church that is so delighted to hear your word, so delighted to hear the truths of your word and and finds encouragement in the truths that you tell us. And Lord, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their savior, that, that is their number one barrier. And I pray maybe something was said or done this morning that will draw them to yourself. But Lord, more, also we pray for those who are Christians here this morning, believers who they may be falling into one of these three. Perhaps they're unruly. Perhaps they came here with a settled disposition to, to hear the word but not obey it. Maybe they're the, maybe they're the, the paved road. Or perhaps they're here this morning and they want to obey, but there's just something that, that is holding them back. They're fearful. They're, they're discouraged. I pray they've been encouraged this morning. Or maybe there's one here this morning, they feel like I want to be an evangelist, but I, don't, I can't get anywhere. I can't get out of my house. COVID is still a thing. And I'm, I'm stuck in my house. There's nowhere I can go. Father, perhaps they need help with ideas for how they can reach out from right where they are. Maybe it's through Zoom. Maybe it's through telephone calls. Maybe it's through whatever, Lord. Whatever it is, you're not done with them yet. And you are delighted to work through our weakness. So, Lord, whatever our need is, I pray, whatever the barrier is, I pray you would remove it out of the way this morning and we would make a firm commitment to obey you and reach someone for Christ this month. I wanna ask you to stand and just bow your heads for a moment and ask yourself as our musicians play, what is holding you back? What is keeping you from obedience? Are you unruly? Do you have a settled disposition in your heart to not obey? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're faint-hearted. You want to obey. You just don't feel like you can. You're afraid. Or maybe you've grown discouraged through the trials of life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're weak. You're scared to get out because of COVID. Maybe you're just physically limited in some way. Whatever you need this morning, would you commit to the Lord that I want your glory in my life? Lord, may you increase and may I decrease. And if you have a need this morning, I invite you to come.